Welcome to Epiphany Fellowships Podcast. My name is Dr. Eric Mason, lead pastor and founder of Epiphany Fellowship in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast. Our desire is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can tune in every week to check out new messages. God bless you and take care. Chapter 5, verse 18, and then skip over to verses 22, 26, and you'll understand why we need verse 18 for the rest of these verses. On three, one, two, three, go. Amen. Today, I want to talk about God's way for godly marriages. God's way. Somebody say God's way. How many of you want God's way in every area of your life? Father, we thank you. We honor you for your way. Uh, that, that's what's amazing about you. you. You don't just leave us to our own whims, but when we're yours, you open up things and give clarity and development and, and give us the power to do and the truth to do it. So, Lord God, be with us today. Families who are broken, marriages that are broken, rework them. People who have been divorced and they see things they could have done better, free them from condemnation. Um, Lord, and for those who want to be married, help them to be sober in what they are looking for and asking you to do. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Oh, God, our strength and our redeemer in whom we trust. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Everybody agree that's it? Amen. You may be seated. When I was in college, they used to have these career days and recruitment days, particularly in your junior, but particularly in your senior year, but they also encourage you to come into your junior year. And one of the people, uh, one of the groups of people that would come would be the Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines. And they would have their table and they had their nice little suit on with their little decorations on their chest. And all of that, you know, my dad was, you know, World War II, Korean War, so I, I you know, I, I was around some, you know, a, a lot, most of my brothers is nine of us, and most of them been in service, except for me. And, man, the guy was like, hey, hey, man, you could, you could come into the Army, and you could come in as a lieutenant sergeant. I was like, not a private, buck private? He said, nah, lieutenant sergeant. I was like, why? I can go in as a lieutenant sergeant, telling people what to do. I was liking that. He said, man, and you, we'll pay for your living expenses, and we'll give you your money, and you ain't even got to spend it on your living, and we'll feed you. I was like, man, free check, free food. You know, I was like, man, y'all make it a GI Bill. You want to go to grad school? We'll take care of that. I mean, I was real excited about it, but I ended up not accepting it, but some few people accepted it. They was excited about all that they were going to get out of. You know what I'm saying? Being in the service of Uncle Sam until boot camp came. And when boot camp came, nobody thought about the GI Bill and nobody thought about them little, them little dollars she was getting and the little, all that stuff. Five o'clock in the morning, get up and standing in line and marching push-ups when you mess up, getting yelled. And all of that went out the door uh, because, the, it, because the reality is many times 
recruitment doesn't prepare you for what you're going to deal with in enlistment. Many of us don't recognize that, 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 that it's the same way with marriage. You, through, through your recruiting process, y'all look real nice. He opening doors for you. You understand what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? You know, I love you and I love you too. I'm going to call you. I, you. You hang up first. Nah, you hang up. I don't want to hang up on you. Let's not say hello because hell is low. So let's say hi and let's, you know, just all kinds of, you know. <laughs> you know, we got all kinds of, you know. Got all kinds of things. You want me to cook? What you want me to cook? And cooking stuff for you, taking you out all, all kinds of dates and steakisms and you know what I'm saying? You know, you're going to ocean, oh, 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 you know, oh, all of this downtown, you're doing all that. Then you get married. <laughs> and then you see that the recruitment was not a reality. Because recru the recruitment process can fool you into believing that is the reality of what your life is going to be like when you get married. And so many people are disappointed because the fake them shows on the front end, but the true them comes on the back end. And you didn't know that one another's breath smelled a certain way. You, you, didn't, know, you didn't know what the other one looked like when they woke up in the morning. You didn't, you didn't see the process. Now you see the process. You know what I'm saying? Um, you know, um, it, it, you know, you see all kinds of things. You, you didn't see how dirty a person can get, how crazy they can get, how crit. Because when you got to live with somebody all the time, you don't get to go home and take a break. See, dating is a lie because you get to take a break from experiencing a person. So you get a limited version of them that you get a picture of what you think you can love. But when you get married, you got to love all of them. Somebody say all of them. All of them. And, and, and so, so as we look at this reality, we don't want to paint, we don't want to paint marriage in a daunting way. Yet it's very important that you love everything and not your perception of what you think everything is. Because marriage is a processing of being unmasked for who you really are, but it's also a process for you being redeveloped into who you're supposed to be. In other words, you got on the one hand the unmasking, but you also have on the process the gospel. The truth of the gospel is the mechanism that gives you the ability for everything messy that you see to be worked on. And so, and so, 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 so that's very, very important as we look at marriage. And so that, and that, that should help us. And so we have Paul, the gospel globe, trying to do his thing. And he's going berserk in this passage because he's going uh, uh, to let us know how the uh, uh, Ephesian church later on, we see Jesus engaging them because they lost their first love. I mean, this was the theological church. This was the urban apologetics church. They didn't mess with the regulations like that. They put heresy on blast. I mean, they, if they were today, they would have a YouTube uh, channel for the church. And they would they would have the social media going berserk and they have all different types of things, but they were losing their first love later on. And so Paul ends up early on writing them a letter to point them to the central reality of what gives them identity. So in chapter one, he talks about the father's uh, choosing them and the son saving them. And, and, and the spirit sealing them. And then he goes into the latter part of that and talk about the spiritual blessings that are for us in Christ that is in heavenly places. Then in chapter 2, he tell them that they were dead.
dead in their trespasses and sins. And after he tells them they were dead in their trespasses and sins, he tells them right after that, he said, but by grace are you saved through faith. It's not that of works. It is a gift of God that no man should boast. Then he goes into chapter 3, and he begins to talk about the churches, the revealed mystery that God kept secret for ages to come. But then now he has revealed those things to Jesus Christ, and we are to proclaim the excellencies of the gospel to the, to, to the, to the, to the powers and the rulers in heavenly places. And then at some point around verse 20, Paul couldn't just hear all of that from the Holy Ghost and sit in his seat. Because in verse 20, he puts his pen down and he stands up prophetically but not pathetically in the presence of God. Because when you get good theology, when you know who God is and you know where he's brought you from, you can't just sit in your seat and just take it all in. Paul says, now one to him. So he gets up out of his seat and he begins to lift his hands and worship the living God for who God is and who what God is doing in his life. He says, now one to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all you ask a thing, according to the power that is at work within you. In other words, theology shouldn't make you bored. Theology shouldn't make you frustrated. Theology should make you worship. And so Paul bridges between chapters 1 through 3, which is orthodoxy, chapters 4 through 6, that's orthopraxy. And as he comes into chapter 4, he talks about the way the church is to relate to itself. Chapter 5 is how the church practically uh, imitates Jesus Christ. And then chapter 6 is about spiritual warfare. But it's interesting that in this text that we're in right now, right before it, he talks about imitating Christ, but then afterwards he talks about spiritual warfare. In the middle is marriage. It's interesting of the placement of the marriage passage in the book of Ephesians so that you can know what you need in order for marriage to work. Which brings me to my first point. If you're going to have a godly marriage, number one, you got to recognize it takes the Holy Spirit to honor God in marriage. Uh, um, the, the marriage people, y'all should have ran out the room right there. I mean, let me tell you something. It, it takes the Holy Ghost to honor God in marriage. It's interesting that it talks about being filled with the Spirit in, 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 in the front end, but on the back end, it talks about spiritual warfare. It lets us know that you need God in your marriage, but it also lets you know that in marriage is a heavy place of spiritual warfare. The first place that the devil on earth went to war was in marriage. That's the first, because he knows that if he can get the man and the woman not to be on accord with God and one another, he's got us. Because when you get a man and when you get a woman, you get generations. And so, and so in order to get a generation, he gets a man and a woman to not be on the same page. And so even before Paul begins to even talk about marriage, he talks about being filled with the Spirit. Help me today. He talks about that first. And so he says, and do not be drunk with wine. I like the way the CSB translates this. It says, which leads to reckless living. I like that. He says, wilding out like a mug. That's just talking about some, you understand what I'm saying? That's, that's some Nick Cannon ministry, right? You, you know, um, wilding out, you know. I'm sorry, older people. They don't know what I'm talking about. It's okay. Reckless living. Interesting that being filled with the Spirit is in a tense where it points to, it can be translated, be being filled with the Spirit. That means that being filled with the Spirit is not a one-time activity. 
See, some of y'all think y'all can come and say, hallelujah, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus. You want to speak in tongues and be filled with the Spirit, and that's it. But if you fill with the Spirit and you go home, you speak in tongues and cuss later, then the question is, either you weren't filled with the Spirit in the first place or something else is at work. So, 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 so let me show you some of the scriptures. In Acts chapter 2, Peter and the other apostles get filled with the Spirit on the day of Pentecost. In chapter 4, he gets filled with the Spirit again. Me showing us that being filled with the Spirit is not an act of constant lifestyle. It's a different moments in your life of up and down submission to the Holy Spirit. And so what needs to happen in our lives is if you're going to be married, you got to have the Holy Ghost. Now, now, now you can look at me funny. I know I'm preaching already. You have to have all kinds of Holy Ghost. Because, because that's why Paul says you got to be filled with the Spirit to be married. Now, some of y'all, y'all look at your little pictures and y'all think, you know, y'all walking down, you know, walking up the steps and, you know, at the art museum, y'all holding hands and all of that. That ain't, that, it don't take the Spirit, the Spirit to fill you on that. that that's a, people are, I'm so inspired by you. What are they inspired by? Not, that's not inspirational that y'all walking together, y'all got on a nice outfit, y'all look cute, your hair done, and you walking up some steps. That's a picture of what you think is happening actually in the relationship. But the question is, when you get in the car and you get to talking and it's bill time of the month, let's see, let's see, let's see how you, let's take a picture of that. Let's take a picture of that. Let's take a picture of that. When she says she can't have, you can't have none that night, let's see a picture of that. Go Facebook Live at that moment. <laughs> you know? Make that your Instagram story. You understand what I'm saying? But being filled with the Spirit means to be under the Spirit's control. You need to write that down. <laughs> being filled with the Holy Spirit means to be under the Spirit's control. That, that means in marriage, you have to constantly want to be under the spiritual control. Now, what I like about this passage, people always ask me how you get filled with the Holy Ghost. It's right there in the passage. It tells you speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Let me, let me tell you something. You get filled by singing and worshiping. Okay. Next time your spouse get on your nerves... Just start singing, there's no one but the blood, nothing but, and see what happened at that point in time in the marriage. It made, see, you got to learn how to shift the atmosphere in your home. See, worship can just shift the atmosphere. Oh, you see, I ain't got no atmosphere shifters in here. But, 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 but what's beautiful about being filled with the Spirit, and I, I wish I could just spend the rest of the time just on the Holy Spirit part, but ah, anyway, being filled with the Holy Spirit has three dynamics to it. Pressure, permeation, and domination. That's the sense of plurao. Now, number one, when we look at pressure, somebody say pressure. Plurao was used of ships who put their sails up and wanted the wind to fill the sail to take it in the direction that it was supposed to go. So if you're going to have a godly marriage filled with the spirit, you got to have a spirit-led marriage. That means you got to be directed. Somebody say directed. That means there are times in your marriage, oh, well, mm, 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 mm. there are times in your marriage where you, you're going to have to make some serious directional decisions. 
And you and the spouse have to be on the same page even if you don't like the direction God has taken you. <laughs> and so plurao, being filled with the Spirit says, it gives you the commitment to go the direction you're supposed to go with courage. Because when you're on the same page, it makes the process easier. Now, I'm going to get back to that when I talk about male leadership later. But from, uh, but from there, it's permeation. Somebody say permeation. Plurao means, being filled with the Spirit means that the Holy Ghost is in everything. It's, he's in everything. Let me tell you something. Now, this is where the crazy Pastor E comes out. Because whenever we buy a new house, listen, let me tell you something. I pray over some oil. Now, y'all can call me whatever you want. I go to every window, every door, and I go to the foundation of the house with my family walking behind me, praying in the Holy Ghost and asking God's presence in my house. Because I want God's presence to fill my eyes. See, I'm spooky like that. I don't watch certain things. Because when you get kids, you see the reaction they have to some of the stuff you open spiritual doors for in your house. That's another message. And so what I want to do is I don't want the devil in my house and in my kids' room and they got to sleep in my room because I want to be with my wife. Holly to the Luya, right? So y'all got to go to y'all room. You understand what I'm saying? So I, I, need the, I need the spirit. I need the Holy Ghost everywhere in the house. So y'all can be on some go-to-bed ministry. They're throwing oil everywhere, right? <laughs> but then, Plurao <coughs> points to domination. Somebody say domination. When we talk about domination, it means the lordship of the spirit. Now, see, we have a theology out here that believes we can tell the Holy Ghost what to do. Come here, Holy Ghost. Get over here and heal this right now. Whoever told God right now in the Bible? Who do, you, who, do you, who do you think you are telling God right now? God, will you please? Now, the Holy Spirit is God. I want you to, he's not a it, he's not a that, he's not a what. He is a person. He is not a impersonal pronoun. Ask Hananias and Sapphira if he's real. <laughs> he put them on an eternal nap ministry when they started acting a fool. And he said, you have not lied to man, you lied to God by lying to the Spirit. Amen. So you lied to God. So, so in other words, a marriage has to have pressure. It has to have permeation and it has to have dominating work of the spirit filling the life of the family. Now we go to the other two points. Next point. We're going to have a godly marriage. Wives are to come under their husband's leadership. Y'all wasn't loud on that part. It was like. Y'all ice grilling me like, like Wheezy with some platinum teeth, like, you know, like this in your mouth, right? Anyway, my bad. Verse 22. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Uh, probably the verse that many would love to take out of the Bible. But there's so much grace in this verse that as you embrace the reality of it. Now let's talk about wives. Somebody say wives. wives. This is... Uh, 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 <clears throat> Uh, gune or gynecos. Now, you have to understand here this is gender specific. Now, as we talk about this, let, let me be gracious. We, we don't want to beat up on any community. But as I think about our society as people are in gender confusion, <clears throat> when I talk about wives, I'm not, gonna, I'm not talking about in an LGBTQ relationship where one of the people function as the wife and the other functions as the husband. 
in an opposite gender of what that function comes up under. So we're not beating you up, we're loving you, but I want to let you know, this is a female wife. Not a male wife or a female wife with a man-looking woman-man wife. Okay, I'm not trying to be funny and put anybody on blast, but I want us to be clear that when the, we, we, we're not applying this to, in some uh, liberality uh, to every type of human relationship because this is gender-specific uh, based on gender clarity, and with love I say not gender confusion. So when we say this, we say wives are to come under their husband leadership. Wives submit. Somebody say submit. Let me explain that in a second. When we talk about this idea of submission, it's interesting because this ain't natural. This ain't natural. You need the Holy Ghost for that. Okay? Uh, 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 um, um, because men are crazy. We are crazy. Now, hold on, fellas. Don't look at me like I'm crazy. You know you crazy. Okay? So, so, so the wife needs constant ghost injections so that she can submit to us. Now, what I want to exhort the women to is <laughs> we talk about this idea of submission. This is interesting because when we talk about what submission is, I got to tell you what it isn't. Um, and as I tell you what it isn't, this is very, very important that you get in check, ladies, your fallen self. What is the fallen self? Oh, Eve. Because old Eve, based on the curse or the fall, <laughs> wants to be not just equal to her husband, but more than her husband. And let me just let you know, a, 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 a natural promotion in man's eyes is a spiritual demotion in God's eyes. So if you try to be more than who God created you to be, you're living less than you're supposed to be. <laughs> so when we look at this reality of this, we see that the fallen self tears down her home through nagging. That's what she does. She creates, a, 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 she, she, she creates what she does with her children. She does challenges by talking to her children about her husband. And what happens is you begin to vent to your children and then create a disrespect and a lack of submission in their lives that reflects your lack of submission that impacts their respect of him. She creates a just-in-case account. Now, a just-in-case account means just in case this Negro act up. I'm gone. White people don't say that ever, ever. Ever, 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 ever. We, you, but we love you. You're welcome here. We brothers and sisters in Christ, but don't say Negro. Don't do that. But that just-in-case account, that just-in-case account is, is a clause in your soul that you're sneaking away, hiding, and not trusting God, investing more in it going forward versus investing secretly in want, willing it backwards. And so that's not what you want to do. An unsubmissive woman uses intimacy as a tool of manipulation. We won't come back to that. All that. Uh, she also fight against godly leadership and emasculates a broken and passive man. It says, because the husband, listen, is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, he is the savior of the body. I like this. 
I like this for several beautiful reasons that we see here is because the Bible says that the husband is the leader. Now, this is very important for us to recognize that Jesus Christ came to reverse the curse. The curse was the enemy trying to make women submit to him and men submit to women. God switches it around, puts man and woman back functionally equal, different functions. Man is uh, over woman, but not value above her. Uh, uh, Let's say that again. They're equal, but of different function, which puts him in a role of leadership in the marriage where he is the primary initiator and the woman is the primary responder. That means that a woman responds to leadership. A woman doesn't respond to suckerhood, bamahood, punkhood. She responds to leadership. And if a man would stand on God's shoulders and be a leader, you'll give her something to follow. So a husband has that position and the beautiful idea of being a leader in the home. And then we're going to break submission down now. It says, now as the church submits to Christ, so also, same as, wives are to submit to their husbands and everything. Uh-oh. Stop it. Let's go back to their husbands. Somebody say their husbands. Some of y'all, it's real easy to submit to everybody else but your husband. It's something about, you, your boss, owner says, can you, yes, I'll do whatever you say, yes. Go over here, yes, I'll do what you say, yes, I'll do what you say. Then get to the crib. All of a sudden, Sister Girl International Ministries comes out. I'm like, now where, cross-ethnically, it's a thing. It's not a black thing, it ain't a white. It's a cross-ethnic fallen John. Where something about coming home and submitting there needs to be fought. Submission, family of God, is a present middle. Explain that. It's present in the sense is this constant. It's a middle in the sense where it's voluntary. You should never be made to submit. That was, you, you, you missed the whole sermon if you don't get that. In other words, exegetically in the text, submission is the woman's voluntary willingness to place herself under her husband's spiritual authority. A man should never say you should submit to me. Husbands, if you got to say that, you're in trouble. You should never have to say that because a godly woman, even in the midst of a foolish fool, now, this don't mean you submit to a beatdown. Hold on, parenthetical pause. Let me pause for like three minutes, five minutes, ten minutes right here. Let me tell you something. If you're getting beat, that's not a place to stay. That's why the Bible says, as to the Lord. Because submission is a service to the Lord. And your husband gets your submission because you're submitted to the Lord, not just him. See, when you're submitted to the Lord, you see your husband through the Lord's eyes, not your own eyes. 
And see, the problem with many of us is we look through our eyes, which is foolish eyes at times, versus God's eyes to see what God wants you to be like and do. Because let me tell you something, the strongest women, and let me tell you, the strongest women in the world are the most powerfully submissive. And submissive does not mean docile. It does not mean weak. As a matter of fact, this would have been revolutionary in the first century. Because a woman was just supposed to submit culturally. But nah, the Bible teaches that it should be knowledgeable, intellectual, volitional, and effectual submitting that she decides to do that's never forced. Let me tell you how powerful that is. That means God has placed in the hands of a woman the power in her submission. That means there is power in submission because there's things your submission can get done that your mouth can't. I'm not trying to get three weeks into the sermon, but there's some, there's, some, there's some stuff that when you just trust in God and you push into God and you willingly bring yourself under leadership, God will do things without your help. So this whole idea of submission is something interesting because the beauty of gospel submission is the woman gets to be the renewed self. Now you get to be brand spanking new as a woman. Now you walk in as the new Eve, not the old Eve. Put homegirl off. Homegirl, tell homegirl, roll out. Old Eve, old Eve, nagger. Doing stuff, going in front of the husband. Oh, put all that off, talking to the devil. Not bringing the husband into the conversation. Boom, not letting him lead, just moving back. Because some of y'all know y'all can lead, but you need to stand back sometimes. You need to stand back sometimes. You need to be quiet. Let him leave. Now look at what it says. Hmm. Renewed self. Encourage the husband often. See, a submissive wife encourages her husband often. Let me tell you something. We fragile in the mud. I know we muscular and we talk real loud and we got bass. <laughs> but men are the most fragile beings. And particularly if his love language is words of encouragement. You need to be speaking life into him because you are his influencer. And, and, and your, being submissive doesn't mean not talking. <laughs> Submissiveness looks like sometimes speaking life into your husband. When he's having a hard time getting a job, you don't say, see, that's why I, you know, that's why I got my degrees, so I could bring what I need to bring into that. See, no, 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 no. That's all kinds of demonic possession right there, right? <laughs> what you do is say, honey, what did you do today? You went, babe. God's going to do it. I'm believing God with you. He's going to give you a breakthrough. You are a man of God. You are the head and not the tail. He'd be like, girl, you better stop, girl. You better. <laughs> Hallelujah. Boy, you start talking. That's foreplay for a man. You the head and not the tail, baby. Look at you with your bad stuff. Get them broad shoulders out the door. I made you some lunch and go find you a job. The Lord be with you. He's gone before you in Jesus. He's gonna be like, he gonna be like this in the cart. And be broke all down. Create a culture of unity in the home. Kids, let's come around dad. Oh, when dad comes in the door, he's had a hard day. Don't bombard him yet. Give him a moment. Culture of unity. Not only that, pray for your husband. That, pray for when your husband doesn't get it. 
I'm telling you, that's prophecy. Because a lot of times we don't get it. And you can't keep telling us in multiple ways the same thing and we don't get it. If we don't get it, you can't force it into us. See, submissiveness trusts the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit is more powerful than nagging. Because nagging causes anger. Trust causes breakthroughs. You need to write that down. She used her influence for godliness, not selfishness. And she broaches hard conversations with redemptive aims. Oh, let me pause right there. When you tell a man we need to talk, everything within his being collapses. We're not hopeful at all at that point. We need to talk is like, it's like a kid going to the principal's office. But a submissive wife says, babe, we need to talk. But wait, before you become, oh, my soul become downcast. Don't do that. Before you do that, I'm, I'm entering this conversation with the hopefulness because you love God and I love God that somehow we're going to be able to work through this. He'd be like, okay, let's go. Let's go, right? But it says, submit to him in everything. Now, that's qualitative, not quantitative. It's about the quality of submission, not the amount of submission. And so when we look at this, and we look at how does the church submit to Jesus, number one, it ain't forced. Number two, Response to Jesus' earning by response to Jesus by him earning him earning the church's respect. He's full of grace and truth, which allows for her to submit willingly. And finally, he is a safe place to submit to. It's interesting. He's a safe place to submit to. A man has to be safe. In other words, the more a man creates a dialogue, not dictatorship. That was good. I'm telling you, when you develop a dialogue and not a dictatorship in how you lead, then you, you that's why you got to constantly, this, this is what I mean, you got to constantly in your leadership process with your wife. You can't just go Moses on her and come back with tablets. You can't just, like, babe, I don't even know. I, you're not even giving me a chance to understand. Like, I just, hey, God said let's do it. Let's go. It's like, she's going to be like, first off, I'm not a dog. Don't stomp at me, right? But that's very, very important. But you know what the wife responds to? A, this is how you know submission is powerful. I think one of the most powerful examples of submission in the Bible is Zipporah. One time, they were, when, when Moses got a word from God, and they left. She was on board. Her little Egyptian self, they going down to Egypt, her hometown. You know, he's Jewish, she's Egyptian, and they're going down together. And then all of a sudden, this is interesting. As, as they're going, God decides he's going to kill Moses because Moses didn't circumcise their child. She goes to get a flintstone, not the cartoon, but a flintstone. She circumcises the boy quickly, which I don't even know how that worked. And she ran to Moses and threw it at his feet. Powerful. Because 
She could have said, see how I be saving the household? You know what I'm saying? I got to do everything around here, even your job. I mean, you were supposed to circumcise on the eighth day like Abraham. And all of a sudden, you don't do what you're supposed to do. Now I got to do everything. God about to kill you. You could have got torn up from the floor up. But it's because of your lady right here that you are still living. Hallelujah. That's not what she did. She circumcised him and threw it at his feet, giving him credit for doing what he didn't do. A lot of times in marriage, men are going to get credit for what you did. And you have to be okay because y'all get credit even though he gets the verbal affirmation. Submission. Submission, submission, submission is a beautiful thing because it, I don't know if I can do it. Last point. Husbands must be committed to dying. Husbands must be committed to dying. These, these are the notes they don't give you for marriage. You know. Next time you go on the Christian profile for, you know, online, <clears throat> ask somebody are they committed to dying. You will narrow it down real quick. <laughs> Telling you. Who wants to go to Vegas and who wants to, who wants to go to Dominican Republic? Who wants to, who wants to die? <laughs> to self. Who wants to die? See, that's a qualification for a husband. A dying man. BBB. Verse 25. Husbands love your wife. Mm, that don't even need exegesis. Because you know what's a problem with us dudes? When our wife doesn't turn out to be who we thought she was, we end up... <laughs> I tried to keep going. That was a good one, though. Um... <laughs> In 50 years, we're going to have a history of the outburst of Brother Reggie in church. <laughs> I love it, brother. I love it. I love it. I'm not trying to embarrass you. We love you, brother. <clears throat> love your wives. Many of us love everybody else but our wife. And so what we do is we go out of the home to settle our souls, but come home to be frustrated. So instead of coming home, engaging our wife and our family, we go into a cave and nobody gets to engage us at all. But the Bible teaches that love is something interesting. Love your Christ as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And so this reality of Jesus Christ dying is the process and really the model for what love looks like. So let's, before we talk about what love is, let's talk about what it isn't. It's not the feeling of love. I'm saving your life right now. I'm saving your life. Listen, it's not the feeling. I'm telling you, that, that thing called feeling is, 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 is a problem. Because there will be days where you don't feel like you love each other. I know I'm preaching. I'm telling you right now, me and my wife used to have this little culture thing we used to do in early the marriage. 
Well, we had a little thing. You remember that, baby? We say, we don't feel like we love each other today, do we? No. But guess what? We had to press in our commitment to each other. Uh, 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 and so, so, so you got to get rid of the feeling thing. You also got to get rid of physical attraction as the main reason. Doesn't mean it isn't a reason because there's physical attraction in the Bible. She was beautiful in form and appearance, all of that stuff. This guy was beautiful in form. So, but attraction wears off. And if you don't understand, physical attraction is the weakest qualification for a spouse because when somebody has a bad attitude, and, and the problem with and the, and the problem with us is we like, man, you know how we do, men. We like, man, she's so beautiful. We just in love with what we think we see. I'm going to give you a real one. Then I'm going to give you a real one, though. Good sex isn't real love. Because men tend to fall, which is not a biblical idea of love, fall in love with good sex. That's not falling in love with you. And, and, and let me explain something to you. You have to not let whip appeal I said it. It's all right with me. But you got that whip appeal. Come on. Working on me now. That doesn't last either because there are times when the whip appeal shuts down. See, the test of whether or not you, God, listen, let me say something. The test of love is when God tests the area that you're infatuated with by diffusing it through broken circumstances to expose what you really want out of your spouse. And sometimes, fellas, God will shut down the sexual shop. Like, like, like third trimester and she's having a challenge in her pregnancy and the doctor says, for the next three months, nunyan. Now the... Oh, some of the husbands know what I'm talking about. The question is, do you love her then? Can you serve her? Or are you going to push into porn? Are you going to find you another relationship to tide you over until the shop reopens? Because you got to understand, third trimester, I'm preaching now, third trimester plus eight weeks if she has a cesarean. Oh, this, see, this, this, is, this is in the gullies of, and so that means that that's not only the three months, that means it's two more months shut down international ministries. So the question is, so the question is, can you fight to be sexually under control, invest in her and show her effectually that you love her knowing that a slob down doesn't lead to anything. Okay, I'm moving on. He gave himself up for the church. So Jesus sets the standard for love. How does he set the standard? Jesus left heaven, took on an additional nature, and lived 30 years in seclusion. Patiently plowed for three years with guys who ultimately was disloyal to him, unfaithful and leaving him in, the dark, in his darkest hour of need. Was flogged and put on the cross. Dying ain't easy, y'all. Let 
me tell you something. Christ's love initiates. It's enduring. It's verbalized. It's compassionate. It's demonstrated by action. It does what is best for the family. It's sacrificial. It involves treasuring us, not just me. And it's based on not being based on performance. So things you have to die to, number one, personal preferences. I'm going to talk on number two, dreams. Some of you are, your marriage is guided by your dreams and not the Holy Spirit. Some of you have been dreaming for 10 years and haven't locked down anything solid for the family. And, and sometimes as a man, if Jesus could die to being in heaven with his heavenly father, you can't die to get what's needed to get into the home. Something doesn't match. Because biblically, God has called us to die. See, this culture has taught us that our dream, follow your dreams, divorce that person. If they don't, if you, if you don't, if you don't follow your dream, you want to be an actor, you want to be an actress, you want to be a singer, like you go after it, even if you leave your family behind in the Bible. That, that is such, it is not true. And we're liking posts and blogs about following our dream. Where in the Bible does it teach Follow your dream as the central component of your life. Nowhere. Does it mean not to dream? No, that's not what I'm saying. Because God will do more than you ask or think. But it doesn't, rem it doesn't involve irresponsibility. So being a husband means facilitating someone else's needs and desires above your own. I'm about to end. Leading and moving and thinking about the impact of your decisions on your family. How do your decisions impact your family? Sometimes the things that cross my mind as a husband scares me. The things that I'll do in my heart and mind to put things on the line. And I have to fight and die. Because I have to think about what my children's trajectory and narrative will be if I act futilely. I have to think about what it's going to do to my wife. How it's going to impact my sanctification and development of our oneness to set us behind for a superficial thrill. I'm going to tell you, I'm the most tempted person in the universe. The most tempted person in the universe. Yet I must be the most dependent in the universe. Because the deeper the pain, the deeper the temptation, the deeper the need for God. It's not easy being a man. And no one's going to get pampers and a hammock for you. It's time for you to stand up. Commit to one woman. One woman. I'm going to say something. Forgive me. Stop boning everything. Stop postponing commitment by dragging women's emotions through the rug. Because you're too insecure to make a commitment and to lead like a grown man. Get up off your butt.
must die. Die, die, die. It's an unhealthy man that runs from a challenge. You see a good woman, don't try to tear her down. Don't try to get in her situations. Find ways to be a godly man and lead like you're supposed to. I'm almost done. And be courageous in godly decision making. You got to do that. I'm done. He says the reason why the man dies is he does it to make her holy. That's amazing. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. But Jesus died to make the church holy. His death grows her spiritually. Let me tell you, the strongest man a woman will be led by is not a man that's in the gym for two and three hours a day, taking protein, going for jogs. That may make for good eye candy, but it doesn't make for good leadership. Let me tell you something. I'm not saying don't be healthy. What I'm saying is this. Is I'm saying a woman who sees the track record of a man that repents of sin, that loves Jesus, makes valuable sacrifices, makes him more fine. I'm done. The relationship between the church and Jesus is what makes marriage work. Is the woman functions as the church, the husband functions as Jesus. And we are to illustrate Jesus' relationship with the church. He does. Which reminds me, um, <clears throat> if we were to reflect that, that means our marriages are supposed to be mirrors. Somebody say mirrors. <clears throat> In being a mirror, I began studying how mirrors were made. And it's interesting. They take this piece of long sheet glass, and then they put a, a, a thin layer of liquid tin over the glass. <clears throat> then after they put the thin layer of tin over it, they melt down the silver through heat. Lay the silver across the back of it. And put a coat of red sealant on the back end and another coat of silver to hold it in place. And the first coat of silver that's connected to the tin, the tin is only put on there to hold it in place. But, 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 but what's interesting is even though the tin is holding it in place, it's not seen. The silver is seen. But right behind the silver is a coat of red. And this coat of red is to seal it to where it's reflecting. All I got to say is the tin represents the Holy Spirit that holds you in place in your faith and that protects your marriage and that holds your marriage in place as both of you are melted down through hot circumstances to be laid across a screen together. So, but, but on the back is the red, which is the blood of Christ holding you in place. So you got on one end the Holy Ghost. You got on the other end the blood of Jesus Christ. And all you're doing is neither one of them are seen primarily. You're sitting there reflecting the beauty and glory of what image comes into there to show off to the world. 
Your primary point in marriage is not happiness. Your primary, ma- uh, uh, primary role in marriage is not sexual enjoyment. Your primary role in marriage is not to have children that you enjoy. Your primary role in marriage is not having your personal preferences glorified and honored. But your primary role in marriage is to show off the glory of Christ. To show off the beauty of who he is and reflect to the world that gospel marriage is the best way to be married. That being in Jesus Christ is the most powerful thing. And you can say, come hell or high water, he holds me in place. Come brokenness of destruction, he holds me in place. Come hell or high water, I'm excited for the fact that I don't hold myself in place. But that God himself holds me in place. And the only reason I've lasted 20 years... It's not because I'm a good husband. I've been held in place. (laughs) And that's what it takes for a marriage to work, to be held in place. Father, we thank you. We honor you that marriage is good. It's good. But we got to paint that real, real God. Because we have so many false ideals. That doesn't mean we're trying to squelch people's enjoyment. God, but we're trying to prepare people for what it means to honor you in a way that reflects real life. And God, I'm praying for your restorative power. Maybe you're here today and you don't know Christ the Savior. Christ died on the cross to bring you back to God. Bringing you back to God means that there is a breach between you and the Father. And because there's a breach, there's a need for somebody to be a go-between. Just like on the streets, if somebody has beef, somebody else, if there's a person that got a good relationship with both, they stand in the middle, they bring them together and they get the beef crushed. Same thing with Jesus Christ. The cross is Jesus Christ standing between God and man, pulling us together by faith in what he's done on the cross, raising from the grave. Is there anybody here that wants to put their confidence in Jesus Christ today? Hold your hand in the air. We'd love to talk to you about Jesus. You want to place your confidence in him? To be brought back to God. Best decision in the world that you can make is to know God through Jesus Christ. Is there one this morning that says, I want to place my confidence in Christ and Christ alone so I can be brought back to God? Amen. 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 I'm going to give you a quick chance. I see some of y'all wrestling. I can see it. Those who want prayer about their marriage, just stand. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to bring you forward because of time. I, I, can see, I can see some wrestlings around the congregation. I need to pray. I need to pray for you. There's nothing to be embarrassed about. This is family here. We family. If you're wrestling and you're saying, I, I need prayer, God hit me, and I, I can see some places where we're off base. Even if you're, 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 you are a spouse, but your spouse may not be standing, but you may be off base personally. It's okay, you can stand. You can stand, you can stand. Yeah, you can stand. I I just wanna pray with you real quick before we do communion. Lord God and Father, 
Thank you for the courage of these spouses standing up. Thank you for the courage and commitment to say we want God more deeply in our marriage. Pray for husbands and wives that you would open up broken places. Break the zigzagging of leadership. Break the brokenness of submission. <clears throat> Restore him as your leader. Restore her as your responder. Fill their marriage with your presence and teach them the daily grace of trusting you every day. Teach them how to sit down and talk. Teach them how to work through conflict. Teach them that conflict is an opportunity for your grace to be shown in their marriage. Teach them that conflict is just a place where they need to trust you to align them. Conflict isn't a place to throw in the towel. <laughs> conflict is a place to experience God. God, be with them and strengthen them when we honor you in advance for your loving work. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Everybody agree with that said? Thank you for tuning in to today's message. I hope that it was a blessing to you and it was aiding in your life to help you to show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. If this message has been a blessing to you, we want you to consider partnering with us in ministry so that we can maximize what God has called us to do locally, nationally, and internationally. You can go to epiphanyfellowship.org, go under give and consider donating. Thank you. Take care. See you next week.